Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi, hello, how are you? It's Daryl, and we're back for episode 93 of Cage Rage, a Nicholas Cage podcast. It's the podcast in which I, your humble host and guide, take you on the journey to true Cage Nirvana. And what is that, you may ask? Well, it's only the purest, most simplest, most efficient, most highest, most spiritual, sexual, emotional, physical, everything, evil form of being that one can possibly achieve. And how do you achieve that, you may ask? Well, it's very, very simple. You simply have to watch every film. The greatest actor of our generation, the man I call the golden hog of Hollywood, Nicolas Cage, has ever been in. Uh, Now, apologies for the little extended absence in the podcast, if you're listening to this chronologically. Uh, May 2022, the year of our Lord Nicolas Cage, has been a very busy one. Um, I've been away and all over the place uh, for a, a friend's stag weekend and then wedding and then other weekends were just very busy and so I just haven't had the time to uh, uh, just sit down and record and edit uh, the podcast but now here we are, we're back, we're trying to get back on back on the track of things and we're back with uh, an episode that I have been sitting on for a very long time time um to put this into context this episode that you're about to listen to was recorded in december 2020 a year and a half i have been sitting on this episode and waiting to release it i was joined by uh the amazing stand-up comedian vittorio angeloni who very very kindly joined me a year and a half ago i'm sure he's probably forgotten that he even did this by now an incredible episode that I've wanted to put out for so long. It's so, so funny. Uh, maybe one of the funniest episodes that we've done. And I'm very, very excited for it to finally be out there as well. Now, on the topic of this being recorded in December 2020, it's also worth noting as well, um, the director, uh, Richard Stanley. Now, at the time of recording, um, as you'll be aware now in a modern view, there are certain allegations that have surfaced about the director that which were said not known to uh, either myself or Vittorio at the time of recording so he has discussed um a little bit in the podcast but I think it's important to note um he's a piece of shit uh, so let's get that out there right now make no bones about that but with that aside fantastic episode um <laughs> a lot of a lot of ground covered here including uh Vittorio offering uh, the greatest Harry Potter impression of all time. Talk about self-awareness um, in acting and comedy and other such things. Uh, purple, that's going to be is a very purple episode. And Vittorio discusses his, um, shall we say, his strong dislike of Nicolas Cage. So I don't know if uh, Colour Out of Space did much to change that, but um, it's, it's, it's a good episode. What else can I tell you? So... We'll get all into that. Um, also, as well, the links, as ever, to uh, 
or my guest socials are in the description down below. Uh, Vittorio does plug his own podcast. Uh, since the recording, it has been rebranded to Vittorio's podcast. It's in the description down below. And one thing for myself that I wanted to address, um, and I haven't done this since the adaptation episode, uh, I mentioned the director, Spike Jones, but I say Spike Jones, and it's not Spike Jones, it's Spike Jones. I don't know why I ever called him that. It's Spike Jones, so forgive me about that as well. But let's get into it. You've waited long enough. It's episode 93, Colour Out of Space, Darren Edge and Vittorio Angeloni. Enjoy. Duh. So we continue through 2019 this week with the second film in Cage's Magenta Trilogy, the sci-fi horror based on H.P. Lovecraft's story of the same name, Colour Out of Space. We join Cage as an alpaca farmer, Nathan Gardner, because of course he is, <laughs> when a meteorite lands in his family's front yard and slowly transforms their lives into a cosmic terror. Now joining me on the journey to true Cage Nirvana this week to see if this colour is a masterstroke or just a waste of space, stand-up comedian Vittorio Angeloni. Vittorio, how are you today? I'm really good. I'm still, I watched the movie last night and I'm still recovering. <laughs> I rewatched it last night at the point of recording. This is actually the second time I'd watched it. Um, so I kind of knew what was coming up because I was already exposed to it, like the meteorite. Yeah. But like, after, when the credits were rolling, I was like, if this is the first time Vittoria has watched this, what have I done? <laughs> What have I- <laughs> it was definitely the first time I'd watched it. Because <laughs> we, because sometimes when, when I reach out to people and ask them if they want to be on whatever this nonsense is that I call an excuse for a podcast, and they select certain Cage films, there are some of them that are like, um, right, that's this is this is middle ground Cage. This is uh, not too Cagey. Some of them, you're gonna get um, the whole Cage hog. And you can have some memories, you can have some thoughts, and yeah, rage in the cage. You can have an absolute rager in the cage. <laughs> so you've you've arguably gone into, um, although I wouldn't say peak cage. Um, you're in you're in a top tier. You're a, a you know you're touching tier three of cage. Um, so it's so like with, I mean, with that said, I I often like when I talk to guests. I put Cage films into two categories. One is films that Nick Cage is in. Another are Nick Cage films. Um, yeah. Which, and we'll get more into this as we sort of go on. Your initial thoughts on the film when the credits were rolling. Were you like, what have I agreed to in watching this film? Um, the The opening bet was very very weird like i never really trust a film that has narration at the start <laughs> i'm always like you've already given up on cinematic storytelling and the film hasn't started yet <laughs> like surely surely like the start of the film is when a director goes oh i don't even need dialogue i'm a visual storyteller i can this yeah. this this and this but straight away they were like oh no we need some explanation off the top here otherwise <laughs> no one's gonna know what happened and i watched it with my older brother and as the opening credits were going he was watching and he goes oh hp lovecraft this won't make any sense <laughs> <laughs> i mean to be fair hp lovecraft by the very nature is hard to translate into 
into cinema. Um, I'd actually been reading the book of this because his entire works were on Amazon for like 49p on Kindle. And I was like, well, <laughs> be rude, not be rude, not to. Um, but then I, but then I do what I always do. I get bored of reading halfway through a book and thought I've literally got the film on Blu-ray. I'm just going to go and watch this instead. But the mad thing about this film is the whole premise, or at least a really central point of the movie and the story, is that there's this color that comes from the meteorite that, like, at one point Nicolas Cage goes, it's not like any color I've ever seen before. Which, in a book, your imagination goes, oh, that's so mad, a color that we can't even conceive. But when you're watching the movie, you go, purple that's purple <laughs> i mean you're not you're not far wrong i the first time i watched this i watched it with my partner and she's an art teacher and she just crossed her arms and went that's that's clearly magenta yeah and, <laughs> and i lost her um because <laughs> that's the thing it was like why is nicholas cage never been to a premiere in like what's happening <laughs> this is <a> fucking... <laughs> it's, it's like well you know, he, he tries to describe it as like, oh, well, it's like no color I've ever seen, actually. Uh, but it's like... That's a really... I mean, I know you do a whole podcast on him, but that's a really solid Nicolas Cage impression. Thank you. I'll uh, just slip it in there for, uh, for my, my own entertainment. Sometimes it, sometimes it's get nothing, and then I just have to edit out the silence and put in a laugh because I'm very fragile. Um, but it's... It, I was reading into this because IMDb is usually sort of a wealth of trivia and it's um, all the facts that they have on there. And there was a very like big paragraph sort of about the color. Um, and I mean, in, in the book, sort of as you've alluded to there, like they do say it's an indescribable color. So you sort of flicking through and go like, oh, that could be that's really trippy, really cosmic. That could be anything. Um, but here, like a more, and I was kind of looking like there's no really, really well, real way to make this entertaining but they say because magenta doesn't exist as a single wavelength of light, it's more of a, a part of the spectrum of visible light, which is your, your Roy G. Biv rainbow colors. Um, so it's an extra spectral color only perceived by humans in specific interaction of the optical gods in the eyes that detect blue and red in specific circumstances. That gives us the uh, perception of magenta. But then in a film where they're like, red and blue are usually associated with evil and good, but here it's neither. Ooh, because the color's so mysterious. Um, so I hope that's Good blown. Try. Good <laughs> try. <laughs> I tried so hard to make that entertaining, man. <laughs> it's one of those things like making sort of like making notes for the podcast and like, well, the color's probably going to come up at some point. So, well, well especially because they land so like it was really, really, and they almost didn't do it. They almost didn't do that t- classic bad movie thing of saying the title of the movie in the movie. But then at the end, in a fucking narration, <laughs> the black guy who I thought was going to die, like he was the perfect amount of character developed yeah. right towards him in the, in the opening act. I was like, he's a goner. It's a trope in cinema that yeah. the black guy dies first. Yeah. But it's 2019. So they're obviously trying to flip that and the whole fucking thing. But he was the only one that didn't die. <laughs> Yeah, to, to be fair, like he's the spoilers only... if you want the <laughs> color out of space. <laughs> I 
actually say that that makes me think this is technically a film podcast and not once have I ever given a spoiler warning on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, by the time this goes out, maybe I'll have done it, but um, I like I like to imagine that people have... I like to, if anyone's listening to a Nicolas Cage podcast, I like to imagine maybe they've seen it by this point, but... Um, maybe they've seen it and also maybe they don't really fucking care because I think... I don't know your listenership intimately, but I feel like some of them will be diehard Nicolas Cage fans, but also some of them will fucking hate Nicolas Cage. Um, no spoiler for guessing which one of those two my partner goes into. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is like I said, this is one of the few films that I've been able to um, share with someone else. And I said when when Magenta came on, the art teacher I was like. Well, that's that's magenta, and then some llamas <laughs> happened, and then I was like, "Credits roll." Did you like it? Um, <laughs> <laughs> the answer was middling at best. Um, but I don't know. Obviously, you come away from this, and obviously the credits roll, and you think, "Wow!" Um, in the sort of <laughs> spectrum of, and I, I don't know what your your own history of Nicolas Cage is. Is this? Um, Another in a line of Cage films that you've watched before. Um, have you? Are you even a fan of Nicolas Cage? I suppose I should ask. I th- for a while I actively hated Nicolas Cage, and like anytime someone suggested a film that Nicolas Cage was in, I was like, I'm not fucking watching. <laughs> right, podcast over. You're done. <laughs> to, <Out>. the- <laughs> <laughs> to the point where, like, my brother got onto my Facebook when I was a teenager, and he the worst thing he could think to do was to change my profile picture to a picture of Nicolas Cage. <laughs> no, I was like the worst that I was like, I was like, no, you bastard, anything but Nicolas Cage. Um, but um, I, I think what, but strangely though, like I'd never really seen him in anything, which I think a lot of people do with stuff where it's like, I, I maybe had seen Ghost Rider, but not really when I was like 11 or something like way before you should watch Ghost Rider. <laughs> and, um, and, but don't really remember it. And then I can't think of another Nicolas Cage film that I've seen apart from last night's, <laughs> but for some reason I just, I didn't like his face, but then <laughs> Because it's like, do you know what it's like? It's like people who are anti-immigration but live in Surrey and have never fucking met an immigrant. It's like they're coming (laughs) over here. I fucking hate them. I'm sick of them. It's like you've never, you've only ever spoken to white people. Like this is a fucking (laughs) ridiculous thing to say. Because that's me. With I'm anti-Nicholas Cage without any basis. Ah, so you're you're an empty-hearted hater. Well, no, because I think not anymore. Now I have context for my hatred. <laughs> I watched that movie last night. So my girlfriend's an actor and I've mm-hmm. done some acting and I like the craft of it and I like thinking about what makes good acting good. And I mm-hmm. was watching Nicolas Cage. And so when he's on screen doing stuff, it is interesting to watch only on the level of because what you want is to be interested in the feelings and thoughts of the character that he's playing and to be invested in the alpaca farmer right (laughs) but what i found 
was the reason I found it compelling to watch was I was just w- watching Nicolas Cage trying really hard to do good acting and like <laughs> make bold choices. And right. like that was compelling because I was seeing a man trying really hard and that's interesting to watch. Right. But what I wasn't doing was investing in the character on any level whatsoever. <laughs> and I think from like, I did some Googling about like, and my girlfriend's very good. She sent me some like Nicolas Cage facts and all this shit for it. She was like, oh, you have to check out this. this, this. Stop. Absolute hero. Shout out Izzy. Um, and so he does all this stuff that's very methody and mm-hmm. like trying to be Daniel Day-Lewis or Robert De Niro or any of these fucking people who work as a taxi driver for fucking months or whatever or do any of these things that mm. and I think he's he's really banking on the fact that after he dies everyone goes oh do you know what he was really really great he was just a kind of tortured genius but again there's something about him that just stinks of inauthenticity where he <laughs> like goes and sleeps in Dracula's fucking house have you heard that one there are so many stories about Cage. I don't know how many facts you have, but and he bought like a he bought a haunted mansion or something fucking mad. And he was like, I just needed to get into the zone. And it's like there's a really funny story about Dustin Hoffman, who was in I can't remember what movie it was, but he like stayed up all night doing like and like wouldn't let himself go to sleep and was doing coke and stuff. Right. And came in the next day. I was saying to the lead actor in whatever movie it was, um, oh, I, I did this because I wanted the character to da 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 And I can't for the life of me, I think it might have been like Marlon Brando or Al Pacino or someone, someone really good. And um, he was like, I did this, 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 and this. And the, like, Marlon Brando, let's say it was Marlon Brando, just went, oh, you should try acting. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I mean, when you when you said the people who after he dies would call him a t- like a tortured hero, uh, I mean, just just say my name, man. You don't have to like brush over it like that. Um, that's de- <laughs> that's definitely me. Like, it's one of those things when there's not many celebrities that um, I feel like if I saw them in real life, I would just on the spot lose my shit and be like, oh, it's 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 this person, it's that person. But Nicolas Cage is the only person I would. Um, and quote me on this that I would drop trial for. Um, well, he he might show because he showed up to a Nick because there's a Nicolas Cage film festival in yes. America, and he showed up to that. So he yeah. might just rock up to your house one day. What an honor! What an honor! I mean, even, <laughs> even if it was just like um, like I need the blood of Cage fans, I would just say which wrist you want the throat. Um, <laughs> <laughs> It's like I'm a I'm a universal donor. I'm good for all occasions. Um, Are you a universal donor? I think so. Yeah. What, what does that make? Like A B O B positive A B or something? I think it's one of the O's. I think I, I didn't o know negative if, or something. Hey, quick edit from Daryl in the future here. So uh, in the editing of this, um, I think we must have paused the conversation at some point as there's a a weird quick jump here. Let me move straight back into a conversation about a thumb getting cut off. So, um, here, here you go. Me about when the the wife chopped her fucking 
What about when the wife chopped her fingers off? <laughs> that was such an inconsequential moment. When it happened, I was like, ah, what? <laughs> I mean, that was... I mean, you could see it coming because she just zoned out and I was like, oh, that's a good chop of those. That's a good carrot chop that's going there. She's got a good technique and then that's not a carrot anymore. And then um, the child that I can only describe as annoying boy. Um, the little one? Yeah, the little one in the, the Little the Jack boy who was whistling at the well. Little Jack boy. That That's one of those sort of tropes in cinema where the the youngest kid always has some... I don't even know it's a connection. They're always tuned in to sort of the paranormal and then they're always cleaned yes. up. And because I'd seen him in uh, The Haunting of Hill House on Netflix as well, where so, he basically did the same thing. I watched The Haunting of Bly Manor with my girlfriend recently. Right. And neither of us like horror or like jump scare stuff, but she had an audition with the, somebody who was involved in it. So she was like, we should watch this. Right. But I can't watch it by myself. So, so, but now like it was bad. It was badly made and there's a lot of bad acting in it. But the thing with horror and thriller stuff is like, it doesn't actually have to be artistically good for it to mm. just be like an enjoyable thing to like watch because it just gets your blood pumping and you're just kind of shitting yourself a lot. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I mean for this, um, I, I think because this is a film that sort of classes as cosmic horror. Um, so, I, I guess being not being a fan of horror, would would you would cosmic horror uh, bridge a gap for you? Would you dip into? No, because I hate sci-fi as well. <laughs> um, hate horror, hate sci-fi. What a terrible film for you to have picked. I well, all I did was you were like pick a Nicolas Cage film and I was like but all the good ones are taken because <laughs> <And then laughs> I wa- I really like the old Wicker Man so I like would have been up for really up for watching the new Wicker Man but then it just didn't fucking whatever and so I just picked the most <laughs> I just picked the most recent Cage film and I think that is the most recent one or like one of the most recent ones definitely one of the most recent um there's been a few since there's primal which he's a an animal hunter who's stuck on a ship when all the animals get loose um right there's grand that happens (laughs) (laughs) i'd like that ferry to the isle of Wight every time um (laughs) there's one um called jujitsu that's just come out in america on video on demand which is basically um, and you just have to describe a Cage film. And it, the thing with Nicolas Cage I find is like you just describe a film of Nicolas Cage and then the reaction is, yeah, because of course that's what he's doing. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> obviously. He's like a, a, well, a martial arts sword master, I say in air quotes, who trains the chosen other martial artists called the Jiu-Jitsu as a martial arts space alien comes to Earth every six years uh, to fight and get a good fight, otherwise you'll destroy everything. So he's basically the Miyagi in that film, and he just flips. The thing stuff. that annoys me most about that is that jujitsu is an unarmed martial art, and he 
is a swords master in a film called jujitsu, which infuriates me. That makes me so, so angry. Just call it Aikido. That one's got the sticks in it. <laughs> I don't feel like um, at this point in the podcast, there's anything I can say that could turn you around. <laughs> to, well, uh, Nicholas like, you don't have, look, I'm a, I'm a horrible, horrible, little horrible person, right? So mm-hmm. I, the reason I, I hate, I love things that are, that are set in one room, preferably mm-hmm. a living room. <laughs> right. Because I legitimately believe that humans and human life are, is interesting enough as it stands. Right. Without you having to fucking invent any of this stuff. Yeah. Like, why are we inventing unicorns? when rhinos exist <laughs> would be my question fair, fair rhinos question. are just rhinos are just working class unicorns that would be my <laughs> argument and it's probably like all rhinos are beautiful this is why are we body shaming rhinos by making them look at these fucking majestic horse creatures speaking of horses what was the relevance of the fucking horse there was no there was no i think at one point we were supposed to go oh they can get away on the horse but at no point did i think that because the horse was just barely in the fucking movie <laughs> the horse was like the only creature that didn't get warped or fused to something God, else. that warp the fucking did you not think the stakes were so low in a lot of the acting <laughs> where it was like the whole family was looking at their mum and the youngest son being fused together and gradually turning purple. And they were just like, oh, let's take her upstairs. What? <laughs> and I know the rationale is that the alien stuff was making them all go mental. Mm. Do you know, like, it was like gradually just making them not care about stuff that they should care about and da 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 Yeah. But like, it just makes it really hard to engage with when no one on screen cares. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and you're like, wait, why? And why was she a stockbroker? <laughs> that- <laughs> There's just no, there were so many through lines that just didn't fucking have to be there. It was like opening credits. It was like, oh, this witch is doing witch stuff and she's got a horse as well and then a guy walks out dressed like mark zuckerberg and you're like oh it's modern day because <laughs> up until that point i was like thousands of years ago <laughs> right but yeah. then yeah he rocks up in his chinos and i was like <laughs> i was like okay okay modern day good stuff and then she's doing all this witch stuff and then he like knows about the witch stuff which is how they like flirt he's like yeah is it wiccan or whatever the fucking like, other one is wiccan or alexandrian she's like oh this guy and and he was she was like what what do you think and he was like, <laughs> definitely alexandrian and she was like that's the second thing you've been wrong about today <laughs> rides off on her horse <laughs> and then because the, the setup of the film was very this is private land. And then he said like hydroelectric company. And I was like, Oh shit, it's going to be like a big, big corporation versus little guy Mm -hmm. film 
where they're trying to we have to save the farm like that's what i wanted the movie to be yeah and i think that that was a through line because they kept cutting to this massive corporation going i don't care how much how purple it is we need the water (laughs) (laughs) then but that didn't bear any relevance to what actually happened and and it just gave them a way out at the end yeah yeah no i completely agree i mean with the with the mother to uh, to mother Teresa, um (laughs) her her only it wasn't even a definable job it was just there were just like some stock figures that went across the screen and percentages and then all she did until she started going crazy because of the color was just yelling at nicholas cage to finish to to fix the satellite dish he's like i i'm a businesswoman who does business help me do my business but he's too busy eating like mutant tomatoes and slam dunking them in because that was another that fucking scene that's exactly <laughs> what i was talking about where it should have been us going oh fuck he's having a rough time with these tomatoes i think you just watch it going well wow, nicholas cage is trying really hard there <laughs> <laughs> But that was another through line where it was like, this wife needs to be in the city, but the the husband inherited this farm from his dad, who was abusive. Was that a thing? Um, he seemed to be emotionally abusive. We get in that one line because um, they they there's a lot of stuff that happens when they're on that scene on the balcony. They're having a little nice moment to themselves. Yeah. He's like, I can still hear my dad's voice. You're never going to be a painter, Nathan. And they're like, all oh, right, he's got, he's got some baggage. And then she's like, would you still love me if I had my legs cut off? And he's like, hmm, a bit kinky, but sure. I can carry you in my luggage and enjoy you wherever I go. I was like, have you considered the wheelchair? Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I've, that was just a thing that they threw in there which is like they threw so many things in they threw more things in than he threw tomatoes in the fucking bin (laughs) (laughs) if you haven't seen the film he literally has a whole crop of tomatoes and takes a bite of one looks disgusted fucking just slams that michael jordan's it right into the fucking (laughs) absolutely slams it and then bites another one throws it (laughs) and it's so so funny. He 360 no scopes so one of them in the bin though, which is which is really good. But um, like what? Like I know and it's the same in that bit where he's in his car and he's punching everything. Yes. That's exactly <laughs> That's, another moment where you're like, we should be really feeling the emotions that he's feeling. But you're just watching going, Oh geez, Nicholas. <laughs> <laughs> you're on a mad one again. <laughs> someone someone like locked the cupboards he's gone mental um i, I get what you mean that i th- i mean there's, there's there's part of me that tries to look for um the reasons in it because it's something that me and other cage podcasters have sort of described as cage home syndrome. there's other cage <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's just a case that i got to you first um <laughs> i'll do the i'll do the circuit <laughs> God, I'd Everyone, have to watch more cage film. Everyone's time comes in the end. Um, lockdown, what a time to be alive. Um, so it, we sort of call it cage home syndrome because for us, we've watched so much cage at this point collectively that we're just so sympathetic to him and he can't do any wrong. Um, yeah. So while on a human level, I was like, oh, Nicholas Cage is doing this. I agree with you. In my head, I'm like, 
Vittorio, Vittorio, how little you know. <laughs> <laughs> but but I agree with with the car. He's he's just hitting the wheel, punching the roof, going, "You cocksucker, you cocksucker!" But I part of me thinks because everyone's kind of been affected by it at that point that you're supposed you're supposed to kind of root for him or anyone or the fucking dog or the horse or the the alpacas. But I just- forgot there was a dog until they they were like Timmy, and I was like, "Who the fuck?" <laughs> Is uh, and the thing is that not all of these like Nicholas Cage put in a pretty Cagean performance, right? It was just mm-hmm. kind of standard Cage. You're getting, you're getting the lingo. Well, no, because in my world, Cagean refers to John Cage, the composer, because right. I was a musician. Right. Yeah. So John Cage, I don't know if you know any of John Cage's work. He would probably be my favorite Cage. <laughs> if you start your own cage podcast then i'll, I'll, I'll be down for that i could I'll do a john listen. cage podcast because he has uh um he has a piece called four minutes 33 seconds which i don't know if you've heard of where it's no. just four and a half minutes of silence like that's the whole piece no i was i, I don't know why i was just thinking of the, the, the Chappelle special that came out i was like that's minutes, not, that is not that what you're talking last about. time i brought this up to someone really? dave Chappelle's ruined john cage what a bastard <laughs> Right, Chappelle's cancelled, it's over. Well, it's happened before. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so John Cage. Is there a potential for a John Cage, Nicholas Cage crossover? But it would be funny to do a podcast where every week it was just four minutes, 33 seconds of silence. <laughs> they would call you the most forward-thinking podcast in the game. I should. I think I should do that. What would it be called? Just... Well, because you've got Caged In, don't you? Uh, Cage Rage for me. Caged In is another. There's Cage's Kiss. Um, there's the uh, Declaration. Uh, this podcast is on the back of the De- Declaration of Independence. Uh, Cage Off, where they compete two Cage films. Yeah. Um, we're out there doing God's work, man. I can't believe there's so many Nicolas Cage podcasts. This is my problem with... My podcast doesn't have a niche. It's just whatever I feel like talking about every week. So there's no hook for people. The only hook is like, oh, I want to hear what Vittorio thinks about this, which isn't enough. It's not enough. Hey, for what it's worth, I signed up to your mailing list. So it's what you're getting out there. It's working. I say, well, I haven't sent out an email in about three months. <laughs> and I cannot wait for that first email. It's good. When I do them, they're really good. Like they're good. It's like a short piece of prose, basically. Like I write it and spend time on it and make sure like all the announcements are like fun to read and like an enjoy entertaining read. But that's exactly why I don't send one out every week because that would take far too much fucking time. Um, but back to the fucking color of out of space. It also annoys me that like it's I know it's American, but it's spelled the American way. I, and all yeah, they had to do yeah. was change the title sequence. And I know Amazon Prime is probably American or whatever, but like something about seeing the word color in the American way next to the word out is like the OU is right there. Just like, just use it. <laughs> like it's right there. <laughs> You're clearly able to type OU. Just fucking do it, okay? <laughs> I, I I saw that and I was like, I'm, part of me is like, just 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 give it a pass, just 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 watch the film. But then there was part of me that was like, it's not right though. 
You're so generous like, to Nicholas Cage. It's unbelievable. You you let him away with like Nick Cage could kill your mom and you'd just be fucking fine with it. You'd be like, oh, it was a bold choice. <laughs> <laughs> I'd still ask him for an autograph. Yeah, you'd be like, do you want to hop on the mic here? <laughs> yeah, clean your hands first, whatever, dude. It's like I'm, I'm coming up to your film about the World Trade Center if you want to talk about that. That's going to be great. What about the fucking bit? Speaking of cleaning hands, where he goes outside and shoots all the alpacas. Oh, man. Which, again, that... the alpacas had no relevance. <laughs> Why they, and they were like, he was like, oh, the animal of the future. And then <laughs> it was like, it was like the Mayans used them and he was like, and they went extinct. And I was like, oh, burn. Um, <laughs> but then, like, there was some kind of just aroma of this guy has invested in the wrong thing to carry on this farm. He's obviously invested in alpacas and like, yeah, this will be, it's set up like just a whiff of hubris of like the pride before the fall where he was like, no, I'm sticking with alpacas, but that <laughs> has nothing to do with this downfall. But this this no. is the problem. Like for storytelling to work, there has to be like, like a prideful error so people are knowingly using their free will to make the wrong decisions they don't know they're the wrong decisions but they're making those decisions for a reason but in this film it was just like oh all this mad shit happens it affects their decision making entirely and then they all die yeah yeah it doesn't matter what you do it was just a really like that's why the stakes felt so low because there was no choice involved. I think the only stakes for me were the hydrologist was, was he going to get his water test back in time? Oh my God. That, that fucking of... water test thing. But why was the, right, here's the question as well. Why was the water already fucked before the purple thing landed? I think he was coming... And I think I think they 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 gloss over this quite heavily because he's at the dam at the very end of the film, and he alludes in the narration that the dam's been built over their house, and he's like, "I hope it's really deep underneath the water." So yeah, I think he'd gone there to do the tests pre the dam being built, got wrapped yeah. up in this whole fucking spinoff, which did not concern him in any way, shape, or form. And the romantic through line of him and Wilma, or whatever the fuck her name was, <laughs> uh, L- Lavinia. Right, um, <laughs> <laughs> close. And why was she a Wiccan? <laughs> she cut herself up good with that box cutter. Why? <laughs> I didn't get it. Why did she just like what? Number one, she what just purpose did it serve in the story for her to be a Wiccan? Other than like a big red herring and the of uh, the older son, who I got. Why was he a stoner as well? <laughs> <laughs> the the only again the from doing minimal research, I'll be honest. This this podcast a joke, um, but from doing minimal research, um, most of the characters are named after Lovecraft characters in other stories, so they're just mishmashed in there. The only, I mean, again, no reason that she should have been a Wiccan other than well, because Lovecraft lets throw a witch in there. But I think because she does that ritual at the start, which is like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm an angsty teenager, get me out of here. 
So unless you felt some kind of guilt, thinking, "Oh, maybe I brought this upon," but it wasn't the family. Wasn't the ritual to try and get? I just remember this. Wasn't the ritual to try and get rid of her mum's cancer? Yes, yes, but it that was. didn't get brought up so, ever again. So the cancer on the back burner, but instead, we'll put your son inside you with infusia instead. That's a big tumor. Um. <laughs> That's no tumor. That's my boy. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I love that bit at the end of. It's my favorite bit of acting, contrasted with awful acting in um, the Goblet of Fire, the Harry Potter movie, where mm. when uh, at the end of the Triwizard Tournament, uh, Cedric Diggory gets zapped back to the adoring fans and they're playing the Hogwarts March and the brass band they're going do 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 and then everyone's like oh you won this you won the triwizard cup and then and then everyone the brass band kind of stops and everyone realizes that Cedric Diggory is like dead as fuck and um and his dad runs out and I can't remember who the actor is that plays his dad but he runs out and he's like, that's my boy. And it's heartbreaking. And he's like, that's my boy. And then Daniel Radcliffe turns around and goes, he's back. (laughs) (laughs) That's the best and worst Daniel Radcliffe impression I've ever heard. (laughs) There's, There's your podcast niche. Daniel Radcliffe impressions. <laughs> but now me and my friend Jack, who I went to uni with, anytime we hear the Hogwarts march, which is quite a lot because we always request it everywhere, <laughs> everywhere we go and put it on the jukebox and stuff. Just because it's such a banger and everyone sings along every single fucking time. Every time it comes on, me and me and him go, that's my boo. <laughs> Only as someone whose life has been affected by Harry Potter on the basis of being ginger and called every single Weasley. Yeah. Those impressions. Those impressions I've been getting Malfoys men. recently because I bleached my hair. Uh, see, there's some there's something so ingrained in the public conscious now. So I'll I'll be called a Weasley until until we f- someone finally cancels J.K. Rowling. But uh, it's not matter of time. I, but you can't really be cancelled when you're that fucking rich, can you? Didn't she sue an orphanage a couple of years ago? I feel like that is definitely a thing that happened. Well, because that this is the thing. Everyone's like, oh, she doesn't support trans people, which she doesn't, and that's not sound or whatever. But I feel like she also sued an orphanage. It's like we should have, like, because it was a, it was like an orphanage in like South America or something who did these parades every year, and they had these like like um they had a theme every year for the parade and they made all these like paper mache things and like walked and it was all very nice and raised money and shit and they did harry potter as their theme one year and she was like not without giving me money you won't (laughs) (laughs) i just i just google it there's a headline that says jk rowling urges students not to volunteer at orphanages uh author highlights evidence suggesting that orphanage tourism drives families apart and makes children vulnerable to abuse. Orphanage tourism? 
So what, is that what in good fuck? I don't know if the article. I've just clicked on the top one. I don't know if the article elaborates on that. Um. Anyway, that's what I heard, and I'm sticking by it because you can get away with it. I see once someone's been mildly cancelled, you can say whatever the fuck you want about them, and then it's just fine. <laughs> I mean, I. This is the thing. Nicholas Cage is one of those actors because, as you alluded to earlier, because he does all the crazy shit, like he buys the mansions and he buys dinosaur bones, and he's got yes. a house in Glastonbury. Wasn't one of them stolen? Didn't he buy a dinosaur bone that turned out to be stolen from some yeah. Mongolians or something? Yeah, he bought dinosaur bones that turns out it wasn't for sale it was stolen his old accountant made it a series of poor choices which meant he had to do a lot of bad films in the 2010s a lot of bad films in the 2010s um but now he's kind of having a cage reconnaissance even with this film as well when he's be- and he's starting to become and i make him sound like the fucking skynet in terminator he's becoming more self-aware of how he's perceived. He's got that Netflix series next year with the documentary, The History of Swearing. Um, so he's got like six episodes talking about like, uh, like fuck shit, pussy, cunt, I think, bitch. That's um, fun. Well, I was confused by like his use of the word cocksucker in the, the, the car scene where he's punching the car because like, from everything we'd seen from that character really just didn't seem like a character who'd be like cocksucker like it just didn't <laughs> seem like well i guess we all become our dads in the end um <laughs> it's the only way that <laughs> well, makes what's sense. the crack with the dad thing it's so not there it was so not in the movie i feel your issue is that you're trying to find sense in nicholas cage and once you make peace with the fact that you'll die never knowing you can be as happy as me Oh God! A- <laughs> this is the problem. I've had my own little revelation recently, where I spent an evening with Alfie Brown, who's a fantastic comedian. I don't know if yes. you've seen him. Yeah, really, yeah. really good comedian and very smart guy, and someone who kind of like unabashedly allows himself to be intelligent and intellectual and take time to think over things and see say what he means properly. Mm-hmm. And I think something about being from I think having a regional accent generally, but particularly with Northern Ireland, um, it's harder to demand that space in places like London to be. Whereas when I'm in Belfast, I feel like I'm quite eloquent and thoughtful and intellectually stimulating to talk to. But then when I'm in London, I feel like I have to be like the, all right, what the fuck are doing? And it's just like, it all just has to be fucking good crack or whatever mm-hmm. and it's re- but this is the i've lost completely why i started talking about this about my own fucking well this self-awareness where it's like mm-hmm. to to know who you are and to know how you're being p- perceived is really fucking important for comedians L- and actors i think as they get more famous i think nicholas cage has done that thing where Although it feels like it's not his fault where the best actors who like everyone goes there, the fucking best actors like your Joaquin Phoenix or your Al Pacino or your Marlon Brando's or like no one knows who they are off screen. Like they give away very little of themselves. So it's very easy to believe whatever they do on screen as who they are in the fucking character. Sure. 
But I feel like Nicolas Cage has gotten to that point where he's so fucking Nicolas Cage. Even though I don't think he's that open. Like, we don't know that much about him. No, personally. No, so, but it's like, it's almost like the cultural consciousness has gone, but we do. Do you know what I mean? Everyone's just gone, we know what he's about. He's Nicholas. Like, we know. We know yeah. what he's about. Yeah, agreed. And that's really fucked him. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I, that is something I've sort of talked about before because it's because we know publicly so little about him other than oh he bought dinosaur bones and he's done this and he's done that and it's because the only thing that leaks into the public is the out quote unquote outrageous stuff that we know that he does that's why um i think anything less is like oh did you did you realize that nicholas cage is a fan of semi-skin milk it's like we, we can't accept him being a normal uh-huh. functioning <clears throat> person like he th- there's a perception that he, he has to be uh crazy because that's the only way he he kind of makes sense um for a lot of people to digest because of, with his films as well Which, a lot of people are known for being shouting and swearing uh, mm. and not like other stuff it's easy to forget that he won the golden globe and the academy award for best actor in 95 um he's he's been like acting since the 80s um he's got like an untouchable repertoire of films but like you say um some people will, I think, unf- perhaps unfairly write him off um, because you see a YouTube clip of him in a film um, acting or there's a compilation clip on YouTube called Nicolas Cage Losing His Shit, which is just like six minutes of him screaming. Um, yeah. But it's like there's a video of that of Arnold Schwarzenegger on YouTube as well, but people don't say like, oh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. But I this. think it's because Arnold Schwarzenegger's not... Nothing about him is screaming, I want to be the best actor. Whereas Nicolas Cage clearly wants to be a very fucking good actor and wants to be the best actor he can be. But I think that puts people off where because of that, he like, there's like a neediness to the acting. There's like a want from him you see it when you go to see i mean most people haven't fucking done this but if you ever go to see like a a final year drama school show a performance you see throughout the year because the aim of final year of drama school is to get signed to an agent basically like everyone wants to leave with an agent Mm -hmm. um and the ideal is to leave before it's finished and go get a job somewhere but you see throughout the year as some people get signed they become better actors because they don't need anything from the audience anymore. Whereas the ones towards the last few shows um, who haven't, or the last few to not be signed, you can really see it on stage. They're like acting to the person across from them, but they're also kind of like looking out into the audience going, please, please sign me. Like I need this. And I think there's something about Nicolas Cage that, makes me think that he wants to be a really, really good actor rather than just trying to do what's right for the part or right for the moment in the in the story or like because there's a difference between wanting to be a good actor and wanting to serve the story and tell the story really, really well. Um where 
like there's a mammoth david mammoth is like an acting training guy and like director and writer and stuff and he says that basically all you need to do as an actor particularly in film um because ev- everything's so close up to your face basically all you need to do is just say just tell the story with good diction so that people can understand it and if the writing is any good it'll just it'll just come across whereas if you try and put too much sauce on it then it just gets fucking muddled and i think sometimes in that film particularly color of space like color out of space the he oh my dog's here um the he's gone uh he (laughs) it's quite a normal character like he's just like a dad who's kind of like i mean he lives on a farm or whatever but it's a very plain average guy um i sometimes think he he didn't allow the character to get there before he did to allow him to do the big explosive bold choice acting that he wanted to do. Like he just did it because he was like, I want to be bold choice, good acting rather than allowing the character to get that point, get to that point before he did. So you're saying you didn't like the film? No, awful. The problem was it wasn't even (laughs) funny, bad yeah like, i couldn't be like it wasn't like what's in the room where you're like oh my god this is just fucking awful it was like just engaging enough where i was like what <laughs> <laughs> i think like i i do agree with a lot of what you said there i think some of the acting choices and this is again going into what i've sort of read about the film um Stomach's just rumbling away there. Um, coming to the director, Richard Stanley, uh, because this was his first feature for like 25 years. Um, okay, I mean, he should stop forever. Because, <laughs> like, as much as I would, like, don't, I'm not the biggest Cage fan, like, the direction in this movie was awful. <laughs> um, yeah that things happened um i mean another character i wanted to bring up momentarily was like ezra the hippie who's just kind of just squatting in there was that um, cheech that was Tom, or chong tommy chong tommy chong yeah so fucking mad like a modern day <laughs> radagast from the hobbit <laughs> definitely weird weird character as well um but with richard stanley he has kind of um I don't know if sordid is the right word, but he's got like a, a difficult history with film because he was for like a week the director of The Island of Dr. Moreau, which is quite quite famously in film law. Uh, behind the scenes, one of the most difficult and challenging films ever made. It had um, Val Kilmer in it and I think Mar- Marlon Brando might have been in it. Don't quote me on that. Um, but he sort of couldn't, he didn't turn up to um, basically like the, the film meetings Val Kilmer turned up like two weeks or two days late into uh, the filming and Richard uh, Stanley was only on the set for like a week before he got replaced and then he didn't get credited and it was such like a horrible experience. There's a a documentary out there about it as well that he um, just stepped away from filmmaking for 25 years before he came back for... Uh, for this, and apparently um, him returning down to film was largely down to Nicolas Cage as well. Um, 
So it is Cage's fault. <laughs> that you are now here today <laughs> talking about this. Um, Stanley said, uh, Nick single-handedly restored my faith in the entire process and Hollywood. He has such a creative and really controlled use of insanity as opposed to the kind of scattershot madness that brought down Moreau. Um, so he was... That's so basically, interesting because those other two would be like very much in the cult very good actor class of like they're mental but it fucking works whereas yeah. it might be awful to work with mm. I, I think they said that um richard stanley he the um production crew that sort of arranged this was called specter vision that's a production company headed by elijah wood and um, i saw that i meant to bring that up he, he was one of the producers yeah, they're like they focus a lot on uh, horror films. They produced the first in the Magenta trilogy, mostly because of the color scheme in Mandy, um, which was one. I was going to say if you enjoyed this to check that out, but then now I'm not too sure if you. No, would. I pro- I probably won't. Um, I might go watch like The Wicker Man because I like the original. Is it a good Cage movie? Describe it a good cage film. I mean, that's immediately a no. You're like Cage's <laughs> fucking biggest fan, and you just took 19 seconds to say. <laughs> and I'm going to elongate that pause in the edit as well. Um, I mean, with this, this sort of touches on something else. I was going to bring up the Wicker Man, and going back to something I said at the start about the, the classifications of cage films. That is peak cage film uh, because. If you like the original Wicker Man, this won't do anything really to honour that vision you have in your head of how the remake should be. 80% of the dialogue is the same, but it's just, it's unintentionally a black comedy because some of it is so sudden and so just um, energetic when it doesn't need to be. Nicholas Cage's character is so hostile to the villagers and basically deserves what happens to him at the end. Oh, it's it's a film that I proudly own. I bought it on Amazon Prime for like seven quid. That sits in my library now to own and watch. As well, I, see I have a couple films that I own that I watch because I'm, I'm weird with film where I basically watch the same four films right. over and over again. Um, do, you, do you think you could guess any of the films that are my four films? Hmm. Well, I know Nicolas Cage isn't in there. Nope, literally not even in a single one of them. Um, Stabbing in the Dark. I feel like you enjoy social realism. Um, That you... So, one, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory original. No. (laughs) Uh, Taxi Driver. I've never seen that, but I've been told I would like it. Mm. Trying to think what what you might enjoy are you are you like an, an era kind of fan do you are you like one who enjoys films in a certain like 70s 80s or it does the certain directors or actors dictate what you enjoy directors there's uh i mean i have a very very much favorite director scorsese he was scorsese kind of guy no i hated the irish man and made me want to die um <laughs> if i wanted to see so I'm half Italian, half Irish. So a lot of people were like, oh, you'd love the Irishman because it's about 
he's Irish, but they're Italian mobster guys. And I'm just like, yo, if I wanted to see a bunch of old Italian men hand each other envelopes for three hours, I'd just go to my dad's birthday. Like, what are you <laughs> fucking talking about? <laughs> but, so, but, 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 because I, I thought that was the first Scorsese I'd seen, but I don't think it is. I think there's a, there is a Scorsese that I've seen unliked, but I'm not very versed in Scorsese, but it's not Scorsese. No, I was going to say there is a Nicolas Cage Scorsese film called Bringing Out the Dead, um, which was the only Scorsese film of the 90s to get zero award recognition. Um, so wow. I, I feel you'll probably be giving that one a miss. I don't know. I feel like I might need some clues. Um. What kind of clue would be good to guess my favorite director? Um, he is called Martin. Mm. He's a much better writer than he is a director. Well, I'm, I'm going to be honest. Like part of I, I, I googled Martin and Luther King Jr. came up. I think I don't think he directed. I'm a fan of his, but not his films. I think his films got him in quite a lot of trouble. <laughs> <laughs> too soon, too soon. We're getting cancelled. Um, I don't. I'm not sure. Um, so I, I literally, I literally googled Martin director and just came up Martin underscore director of Goodfellas. Um, <laughs> no, because that was Scorsese as well. You play your cards very close to your chest, and if I was My a poker favorite player, favorite director in the entire world is Martin McDonough. Well, McDonough. No, I don't think I would have would have got to that one. But um, so the four, but then only one of those four films is really a McDonough film. In Bruges is one of yes, that's the films film. that I watch all the time and can pretty much like do the whole fucking dialogue along with it. The only film like that for me was um, when I was much younger. The um, The Emperor's New Groove. Oh, sick! You- that's a good one. In my opinion, the most underrated of the Disney animated films. Yeah, it kind of slips die. under, but it's nice that it, it's kind of, because people really fucking wank over those Disney films, don't they? But that one yeah. kind of slips under and it's a bit nicer. It's, it feels a bit more personal. Um, so In Bruges is one of them. And then the other ones that I really watch all the fucking time, Blues Brothers. Yeah. Blues Brothers is fucking class. I think it's such a good, it's like a live action cartoon. And I think that's so cool. Um, I, the Big Lebowski. Yeah, great film. Fucking cracking film. L- would any of these films have been made better with Nicolas Cage in them? No, um, is the answer. <laughs> <laughs> First of all, the absolute the the sacrilege coming out of your mouth is second to none. Uh, but but that being said. Um, because with these podcasts, there are there are people who come on and they haven't seen a lot of Cage, and uh, sometimes I'm like, well, you know, if you sort of like this, then maybe you'll like that. Um, he was in a very early Coen Brothers film called Raising Arizona, which okay. is which is one of those because that world is so heightened and over the top anyway that he yes. slots right into it. So that would be good. Well, maybe the problem is that he's just been cast badly because. What's his name? Christoph Waltz says there's no such thing as bad actors. There's just bad casting. Yeah. Yeah. I th- I think this goes into what we were saying as well, because with, with, with some films, um, 
whether they're sort of self-referential or what they want Nicolas Cage for the full Cage experience, not Cage as an actor. So mm. sometimes I think because of the film, sometimes I think it helps if the director can rein him in and keep him in line with the vision. Sometimes I think he gets cast badly and you can sort of tell would they you, wanted Cage because Cage. Would you say The Color Out of Space is a Cage film or a film with Cage in it? Good question. Now now the Cage era has become the KG. You're learning well. Um, <laughs> I th- it's it tears just slightly into cage film for me as it progresses um yes but th- there are some films where he's done them because either he's a fan of the body of work or um someone he knows is with this one um his father uh was a fan of hb lovecraft so he basically did this film as a way to sort of uh honor his dad in a sense right um, but we, this but it was interesting because i remember watching towards the start of the film and thinking oh jesus he's barely even fucking in this film and then yeah. as the film progressed i know what you mean so the first half of the film is maybe a film with nicholas cage in it but then the second yeah. half of the film is very much a nicholas cage film yeah they flip and then that's what i'm interested <laughs> uh, <laughs> but this one actually sort of going back to richard stanley um because he got Cage on board, he'd his favorite Cage film is um, sort of akin to The Wicker Man in peak Cage, uh, called Vampire's Kiss. Um, and I don't know sort of how many Cage clips you've seen, but this is one where it's peak, like him screaming, him going over the top, very physical. There's a scene in this film where he recites the alphabet by screaming. Um, instead of crying, he literally shouts the words "boo hoo." Um, this is top tier caging. Yeah. Um, and Stanley said his favorite cage movie is Vampire's Kiss. And so he asked Cage to use the same style of performance, which the first time I watched this, I didn't pick up on that. But now I've gone back and I've seen both films uh, more than once. Um, it's kind of obvious to sort of pick it up when you sort of know what you're looking for. So you sort of know in a few different scenes when he's when he's just having a go at his family. Um, and he, his voice goes kind of Donald Trumpy, kind of nasally and high. Um, and he's like, um, what's that goddamn smell? Oh, it smells like, the, it smells like the cancer word. You know cancer, don't you? When he's just shouting at his wife. Well, he, um, there's, there was points where I felt like his accent was slipping and he's not even doing an accent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I get what you mean, but this is what I mean. Like sometimes, this is directly what the director wants. Like they yeah. want, they want the whole hog. And as I've called Cage before in this podcast, he is the golden hog of Hollywood. Um, because I have no doubt that he's got a glorious shining hog. Um, <laughs> um, but I think in a way him and him and Stanley are, they've got similar wavelengths. Um, because as you were saying, the stories we hear about Cage at different points in their lives, and this ties into why Cage actually has a house in Glastonbury, Cage and Stanley have both hunted for the Holy Grail. Uh, that's why Cage came to the UK to go and sort of hunt for the Grail. Uh, Stanley had done that as well. 
Um, Richard Stanley and Swedish filmmaker Henrik Moller allegedly performed a ritual um, to the Lovecraftian god Yog sothoth while in the Pyrenees to get the film made. So they performed to a um, effectively Cthulhu. Um, well, th- this is what Dario said when H.P. Lovecraft came on, his name came on the screen, and Dario went, oh, Cthulhu will be involved in this in some way, shape, or form. <laughs> and here we are. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about the big C himself. But but Richard Stanley wants to make more Lovecraft films as well. He's said in interviews this would be the first yeah. part in a trilogy. The next one would be the Dunwich Horror, which does more directly relate to Cthulhu as well. Um, so, I mean, would you be interested in seeing more Cthulhu, uh, Lovecraft films? No, it's after just this? so not my bag. <laughs> really, really not. I just, I'm trying to think, cause I've said I like stuff that's just set in living rooms and I really, really, really do. But then Big Lebowski is quite over, like, you know, it's quite fantastical or whatever, mm-hmm. but I feel like it's very, very grounded in real life. Do you know what I mean? There's nothing... Yeah there's nothing magic that happens in it. Like any of the experiences that are weird and psychedelic are fueled by psychedelics. So it comes from a place of realism. So it goes like he took drugs and his perception is that everything went weird, but everything's normal. And he has, there's weird dream sequences, but it's still grounded in realism. So if there's any cage film, that is like very in real life and very, I like mundane, but exploded into, but it has to come from a place of realism. Is there anything like that that I could get involved in? Um, it doesn't seem like his brand particularly. Yeah, I think you've come to the wrong podcast, friend. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, like I said, in terms of Coen Brothers, I think you'll enjoy Raising Arizona. Um, mm-hmm. That's one that slips under the net a little bit. Um, there is a film called Adaptation, which got a bit of award nods in 2002. It's by Charlie Kaufman, directed by Spike Jonze. It's, um, it's kind of a sort of semi-surreal autobiographical take on uh, Kaufman's life when it's sort of cage playing charlie and his sort of um, fictional twin which you might like as well um other than that with stuff i mean even them they're not really grounded in realism per se so um you might not find a lot of joy here might be a bit barking up the wrong cage (laughs) because mm, i'm trying to think because a vaguely similarly memed actor who I think is potentially the best actor of a generation is Danny DeVito. Yeah. Yeah. So for for whatever reason, when Danny DeVito does mad stuff, there's just something about the way he like looks at the camera or just his eyes. You can just never see the acting. You just see, like, yes. it's just a, it's just a guy. You never, even though Danny DeVito is one of the most, like, he doesn't look like anyone else in the fucking world. <laughs> like, he looks like Danny DeVito and no one else. Even then, you never see Danny DeVito on screen. It's always the character, and he's always fully. Yeah, 
in it. And that could literally just be because of the casting, because he's never been cast as anything but stuff in his wheelhouse. Whereas I think the problem with Nicolas Cage is you can almost always see that it's Nicolas Cage and he never fully transforms into the character in your perception. That's a very interesting parallel, and I'll never have someone as intellectual as you on the podcast again to usurp me. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, that's really interesting, though, because I was um, I was a huge fan of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, and I was watching that the other day, and it kind of just popped in the back of my head. Obviously, you see him as uh, Frank and sort of bursting out of leather couches, covered yeah. in slime and stuff, and I was like, at a point, Danny DeVito was just one of the like the biggest actors in in the world then yeah. you forget like you said you you do forget that you're watching Danny DeVito I'm fully enveloped in uh, watching Frank, Frank Rangnell's yeah it's Frank and it's never and in Matilda it's whatever it's fucking it's like the fibers have fused in my head and it's like <laughs> him and it's never and then you see Danny DeVito in interviews and he's like oh yeah we need more left-leaning policies and government yeah. and he's just very normal guy yeah yeah, it's kind of, I was kind of thinking about this the other day, like, and what we were saying, because we know so little about Cage, it's kind of like, if it came out, and, you know, I'm a left-leaning guy, if it came out and he was like a, a, a Trump supporter, would I continue? Was like, would would that shatter the illusion for me? If I knew well, what's more... What's the illusion? God, it's like going to therapy all over again. Mm, um, I've been told this before. I think it's because... I've been in therapy since I was about 10. So when I have long form conversations with people, I have the only way I've learned to have those conversations is from actual therapists. So <laughs> I've, I've been told that my interview style is very much counseling. <laughs> Dad. Um, no, it's a good point that you raise. It's like I said, because, because what do, even though I'm down the cage rabbit hole, maybe slightly more than any other person with a functioning mental capacity. Mm. Um, it's, I don't know anything about him. It's just, you just hear these little stories about him and I'm like, ah, oh, like this, is, this is cage. It's what, it's what makes him interesting. I, there's something about him for me. It's like, um, as opposed to a number of other actors who you can just sort of name, he, for me, is one of those actors that like love him or hate him everyone has an opinion on him and he, he he's one of the few people I've sort of found and, and I won't claim to be a film theorist like a leading expert on acting acting styles films this that and the other but you can say to someone do you like Nicolas Cage and people some people might say oh yeah I think he's really underrated or other people might say no I think he's total choose ball um but it's it's it seems to be such a passionate opinion on either side there's no middle yeah, ground which is all good things you don't want to be boring I'd say that's I get that with with my comedic stylings. Some people really rather hate me, um, <laughs> but it's because you want to. I've always said that I would rather make half the room die laughing and connect with everything that I'm saying, and half the room hate me and not just not get it, than have the whole room laughing on a surface level. Yeah, I get that. I mean, I in a different life, I did stand-up. I've got a Chortle student semi-final under my belt, died on that boat in London, um, as as all the industry professionals just looked out on the Thames as I did my <laughs> A material. 
dab. Um, but I, <laughs> I, I know it's easy. It's it's the classic illusion. Like you've got hundred people, ninety nine people laughing, the one person just fucking frowning at you, and that's the one you focus on. But I'm the opposite. I just you rather you would like, home it's not in. for you. That's fucking fine. I'm only on for twenty minutes maximum, so you can just either leave, or go get a drink, or like just sit there and shut the fuck up while ever like the people who do enjoy it enjoy it and then i'll build an actual connected engaged fan base who enjoy the stuff that i want to make rather than trying to connect with everyone that's just never gonna happen and they are dying dying for that mailing list let them in can't wait this for is it. the thing I, I'll, I'll do one this week just for you <laughs> yes <laughs> making waves um but i mean this is sort of the only other yeah, relevant IMDb fact about realism in the film because obviously we talk, we joke about alpacas because like who's really an alpaca farmer in this day and age? And even though as he says, you've got to be sensitive with the boobs. Um, very sensitive. Why did he say that? <laughs> um, there was he complains to his kids that like the cost of alpacas, but according to this completely unresearched fact that I've read. Um, as of 2019, a breeding female alpaca, depending on the, and I quote, quality of the specimen, right. can cost between five and $30,000. Stud males, I assume the breeding males, can go upwards of 10,000. Young males and geldlings can start from 500 upwards. Um, so apparently there is some money, money in alpacas. It just made me think of the classic YouTube video of like the llamas in hats, though. Um, that's the only, only frame of... It was just like, I mean, it probably was difficult for you as such a big fan of the Emperor's New Groove to see them get (laughs) their heads blown off. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, if only only they had the voice of David Spade, they might have had a chance. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Obviously, obviously you sort of alluded to Ezra's Tommy Chong as well earlier. He's the only character who sort of kind of seemed to know what was going on, but then just spoke about it in riddles and then just left an outdated tape saying, they're in the ground. Um, So I don't know what you made of him as well. And his cat G-Spot, of course. Yeah, his cat G-Spot, which was the first purple-eyed thing we saw, really, when it fucking up on the car and they're (laughs) driving home. And it's like, oh my God. And then... They were just nearly in a car crash, and then they went. I have to phone the kids, see if they're okay. And I was like, they weren't in the car. Like, like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's like you were in the car, <laughs> almost get, whatever. And um, yeah, he was a very, very weird. Like, I didn't, I didn't really get. So he was just this like pothead in the in the woods, um, and who, but still seemed to have like no connection with the the stoner son, really. Um, Hmm. which i thought but I, I don't really understand why he was in the movie but like he there's so many parts of this movie i'm like why is that <laughs> like someone needs to just like staple that um is it a samuel beckett quote about uh killing your darlings yes I um, think so. it's like if you want to make good art you have to kill your darlings just get rid of some of the ideas mate it would have <laughs> made much more sense <laughs> as a movie um that guy was so fucking strange. It was like a modern day, like Radagast from The Hobbit. And it was like, he's another one where you just see him and you're like, oh, it's Tommy Chong. And then like, you're, not, you're not like, oh, it's this guy. It's like, that's fucking Tommy Chong. And it's like, why? 
what did he do for the story what what did he what what like how did he other than like he was just hearing voices in his floorboards but again why didn't he do anything why didn't yeah because he kept drinking the well maybe it's because he kept drinking the water that's what fucked him maybe but like he seemed to know the crack with what was going on but then just like because he's and even when they found him dead he was just sat there in his chair like like just dead in his chair yeah and it, it, there was no, in. no sense of a fight or no sense of just anything and that was that kind of summed up that whole thing of the movie where it was like there was no push and pull the whole movie was like watching a tidal wave in slow motion <laughs> and, but all the villagers were just stood there like oh that's a tidal wave it wasn't <laughs> like no one was running no one was trying to put sandbags down or batten down the hatches like everyone watched it happen and then didn't really react and there was like like do you remember when he went out and shot the alpacas and then came in how can i forget without wiping his face <laughs> i was i was thinking about this because obviously i if, if we're clutching at straws i can get right he's invested everything into these alpacas now they're a mutant blob he's had to shoot them they're screaming yeah and then if you're in you're in the, the fucking heat of all that your wife and youngest are fused in the attic upstairs and then as the kids you watch your dad covered in blood come in with a shotgun and just say i'm gonna take care of it that's yeah. something, and then he doesn't. He just gets, he kind of gets a hard on for her upstairs. It's like we're going to yeah. take a trip, and then the little magenta kisses and the strands and stuff. Um, I was like, your son's fused to your wife's back. I don't think this is the time. Yeah, it was really like, it was a really weird version of that moment in zombie films where they like have to shoot their mate and then don't because they've turned into a zombie. It was like he kissed it, but then this was the thing of like you just couldn't. At that point, you were like, oh, his head's fucked because he doesn't, like, all of his decision-making doesn't need to make sense anymore because <laughs> because purple. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, is, it is exactly that. I think you're just supposed to accept that the meteorite can do everything. It can warp reality. It's got electromagnetism. It can uh it can be a jellyfish in your plug hole. It can be a a glob of jism in your, yeah, what in was your shower. That? A jellyfish cum blob that yeah. burns you. And then he, and that... then oh my god when the sheriff arrives and Nicholas Cage is just scratching his arms going it's just a rash and then he thinks <laughs> all of his family are there and the sheriff was pretty fucking useless wasn't he? Yeah, I mean, they they turn up and you think they're going to, you know, stranger things it and save the day. It's like, would you like a drink? I'm having what? And then they go upstairs, see like the Silent Hill creature that's become his wife and child. Yeah. Then he shoots it in the head. Sheriff gets yeeted into the trees. Um, <laughs> Yeet! <laughs> and then um, the sheriff as well, I think that was um, like a, a side note. He was... Josh Waller. Um, he's one of the people who's one of the producers on Spectre Vision as well. Um, right. So cheekily booking him into his own gig. Um, the Tarantino classic. <laughs> absolutely. 
I think um, in terms of deaths, because everyone gets fucking disintegrated or, or just cage go like, oh, um, my favorite yeah. death, and even though I realize a weird thing to say outside of context, mm-hmm. um, was when the the stoner kid, the no reason stoner kid went into the world because they thought they heard the dog and then all the magenta got him. It was when he put the goggles on. It just made me think of the old Simpsons episodes where like radioactive man's like, the goggles, they do nothing. And then he gets absolutely <laughs> taken out. Well, that that was a weird moment because he like had the goggles earlier in the movie, didn't he? Like at one point. Or yeah, did he? Found him, he'd found them in the barn or something. And then Lavidia was like, hey, I want those. And he's like, no, you've already had the compass. Which it but makes then, it seem like they're going to be important items and they're not. This is the fucking thing where it's like, when he put them on, I was like, oh, it gets in through your eyes. And yeah, he's going to yeah, be fine. Yeah, yeah. But then, that was like, what? Like, if he's going to die, why would you make the audience go, oh, goggles? <laughs> yeah, I mean, even on the second viewing, remembering that, he doesn't make it. Even on the second time, I was like, ah, the goggles, yes, the goggles. And then, oh, oh, the goggles do nothing. Nothing yeah. does anything. Why? And then the girl died as well, Lavinia. Yeah, she gets transported to another dimension and then disintegrated. Yeah, because her, all her chopping herself up went purple. Yeah. She she got purpled. I think it's because everyone was drinking the water, which they weren't supposed to, so it got into their systems. No one. I think that the big message of this film is drink bottled water. It did seem like a big oasis ad, didn't it? <laughs> if water had come out the cellar at the end, like all ashy and covered in dust, just with like a flawless bottle of like oasis, and just winked to the camera, I'd be like, yes, now we're now we're fucking yeah. cooking with gas. It's a bold move by a director to cover a black per- person in ash as well. <laughs> <laughs> given, you know, yeah, the given, stereotypes. <laughs> <laughs> given pff, the world. Um, <laughs> but as I, I mean, probably got some cocoa butter on it and he was all fine. Um, <laughs> but he, and the way, <laughs> the way he smoked the cigarette at the end was so so movie when he was like his whole hand covered his whole face (laughs) (laughs) i I mean that's all it was it was just a color out of space (laughs) (laughs) come on and then the fucking typeface on the screen i mean it was just i mean short of just looking into the camera cracking open a bottle of oasis um this was so close i would have been so satisfied by that that would have turned the film around for you like an hour 50 that's what have got you on board and thought yes as well. especially because I, I sat down with my brother to watch and i was like I've, i have to do this podcast tomorrow so i have to watch this movie and he goes uh so I chuck it on and i realized what i did was i picked like the most recent one that i could find that looked interesting and it basically just had a really colorful poster it was very purple <laughs> and i was like oh fucking cool but what I should have done, given my cage leanings, I should have just gone, what's the fucking shortest Nicolas Cage movie? 
Congratulations, you played yourself. I know I did. Um, What's the, what is the shortest Nicolas Cage movie? Probably one that is not him. Um, oh, <laughs> zing, 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 zing. Cage, please. Cage Senpai, I love you. Please don't discredit me. Um, that's a good question. That's a good question. I mean, he. it's not necessarily the shortest, but if you're sort of into like animated and the Marvel films, he voices Spider-Man Noir in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, but he's kind of like a, a C character in that. Maybe like five minutes of dialogue, maybe 10 minutes of screen time. That would have been good shit. That's definitely a, a movie that Nicolas Cage is in rather than a Nicolas Cage movie, unless he absolutely smashes those five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'd book him for a 10. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Very inside baseball. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, to be, I, I guess you probably don't agree so much with this, but Rotten Tomatoes is giving Colour Out of Space 86% certified Jesus fresh. Christ, people are fucking <laughs> stupid, aren't they? Is that yeah. reviewers or people? Um, it's based on critical consensus by um, by reviewers. That being said, his highest rated film, um, I think, on the basis that he's in it, is Spider Man Into the Spider Verse with um, with ninety seven percent. Mandy got ninety. The other one, which but there's that I interesting had. thing where, like Dave Chappelle, Sticks and Stones, uh, got really low, got like thirty something percent from critics, but like ninety eight from audience members. When they showed like the split of it. And then Hannah Gadsby's Nanette got 99% from critics and about 41 from audience members. Fuck's sake. (laughs) Fuck's sake, man. Can't trust people or critics. Everyone's an idiot. You have to define your own artistic value. (laughs) What What a wonderful note to look at wrapping up the podcast on. Define your own value. Don't listen to us. Well, Nicholas Cage has found his own value, which is give me loads of money and I'll be in your heap of purple shite. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why I do the podcast. Am I alien? I feel like at the start I said, oh, probably lots of people who listen hate Nicolas Cage, but I feel like that was misguided. And what I've done is just piss off lots of Nicolas Cage fans throughout this podcast. And you're, as a good podcast host, going to be like, do you have anything you'd like to plug? And I'm going to say it into the abyss and no one's going to follow <laughs> me on anything. You, th- you think after your fucking tirade, I'm going to give you plugging, uh, plugging chance. Plugging, <laughs> you fucked it up. <laughs> plugging. <sighs> well, thank you for watching the episode, everyone. Now I'm so- <laughs> No, cut it out. Uh, God, thank, <laughs> thank God for editing. I can't even speak now because I'm furious at you for what you've reminded me of. <laughs> no, um, no, uh, I think... This is a podcast that's it's going to have a niche audience of people who probably like Cage anyway. Am I going to convert the unconvertible? I don't know. I mean, it leads me to a question as someone who is not a Cage fan, and I think I know the answer. Um, and perhaps with the exception of Raising Arizona, would you seek out in your own time more Cage films on the back of this and this uh, this discussion of Cage? No, I watch Raising Arizona. That's it. <laughs> it's about the answer I expected, but it's one more cage film than none, so I'll take that as a one percent victory. Um, but with that said, we come to the end of the episode, and Vittorio, because I'm so generous as a host and I don't fuck up my endings, um, 
do you have anything to plug? Where can we find well, you on the social? This is going to come out in about 2026, 20, isn't it? Because you have about a thousand <laughs> games films to get through before you get to the color out of space. So by that point, I could be dead. This could be, <laughs> this could be a posthumous podcast. I'll still release it in your honor, in your This memory. is the thing, right? And even Ride if I am coattails. dead, I still want those followers. So <laughs> follow me on Instagram. Uh, Vittorio Angeloni. I have many podcasts of my own. The two that I would like to plug is the Good Guy podcast, where I interview people um, in interesting, interesting people that I find interesting. Uh, a recent guest I had on um, works for OnlyFans, and we had a cool discussion about sex work and stuff around that. And then the other one, which is a bit more lighthearted and fun and less intellectually stimulating, if you refuse to see a Northern Irish person as having intellectual value, this might be the one for you. Um, <laughs> Jump on No Blacks, No Dogs, No Irish, the podcast where me and black comedian Mo Omar talk about uh, race in various funny ways. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, Vittorio Angeloni, thank you so much for taking the time to do something you definitely didn't want to do. <laughs> joining, me, <laughs> joining me on the podcast on the journey to true Cajun of honor. I'm always infinitely appreciative that anyone takes time to watch and chat Cage. Oh, everyone should listen to John Cage's four minutes, 33 seconds as well. <laughs> um, yeah, don't listen to us. Go listen to John Cage's four minutes, 33. It's far more stimulating than whatever this nonsense was. Uh, but th thank you for joining us both. Please go and follow and support Vittorio and all the uh, podcasts and socials mentioned. Sign up to the mailing list. That email's coming in. It's going to be an absolute fucking cracker. But uh, hopefully we'll see you in the next one. But until then, keep on, keep on caging. It's all you have to do. Bye-bye.